going to be talking about Project 54. If you haven't heard, um, it is the word. And so my friend Kyle's going to come on up here. Kyle, come on up, bro. And um, Kyle's going to be talking. Yeah, you can, you can welcome him. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for being here, man. Oh, thank you. All right. This is my friend Kyle. And uh, I've known Kyle for some time now. And he's only gotten better looking and much more uh, muscular as time has gone on. Tattooed. I appreciate that. And tattooed. Um, <laughs> and tighter shirts. So anyway, all those things are good. They flow. They all work together. Anyway, so Kyle, um, when I first met Kyle, how long has it been now? A few years, right? It's been... Four? Four years. Wife? Something like that. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. It feels like a lifetime, oh, but it's okay. been four. And, uh, and we... Um, I've gotten to know him over, over time and... It, his, what he's here to talk about tonight is not how I first got to know him. Um, so I want you to just tell them a little bit about yourself before we jump into the whole Project 54 and all that kind of stuff. Because when I first started having lunch or coffee with you, you got to tell me crazy stories because you are, uh, by tr by, I guess by profession, a police officer. Yes. So tell us um, how long you've been on the force and then where you, is it patrol? Is that what, I, is that what I'm? That's what I do now, yeah. Okay, go. I've been on for LAPD for eight and a half years, and for seven years I've been in Central Division, which is part of Skid Row, and I'm actually a training officer, so I'm responsible for all the uh, rookies that come in. I train them. Um, yeah, so, no, no, so every time we would go, I would ask him um, questions about what it's like to work on Skid Row. Uh, for some reason, I'm super into the show Gangland, and, uh, and so I'd be like, tell me about that. Like, it's what's the shot like callers, that. you know? <laughs> Where they at? And, uh, and so we would talk about that, and so he'd tell me about gangs and all that kind of stuff. And so he could go on forever about all the stories that he's told me, but I told him just to pick like one or two great stories uh, that have happened on Skid Row. So tell us really quick. So I got... Right by Skid Row is actually nice restaurants, and I, I got waved down one day because somebody said there was a naked guy trying to order a beer in a bar. So we walked in, and there was a naked guy at the bar still trying to order a beer. So it was quickly, he was under PCP. If you guys don't know what that is, it's basically a drug that they used to start tranquilize a horse. And uh, so once we approached him, he ran. So then I, I'm literally in full pursuit of a naked guy down the street. <laughs> And, uh, it's a, and then he runs into another restaurant, so now I'm chasing a naked guy through a restaurant, and he ends up fighting the manager. So then I get in a fight, and I end up taking him down. Me and my partner are in a pretty big fight with him, and I can't believe I'm going to tell this part. But my partner requests a backup, people to respond to our area, and he put out the wrong address. So what happened was they responded to a massage parlor. So <laughs> that was locked. Just for those who don't know that don't really have massages there. Well, sort of. Anyway, keep going. So, so they end up kicking down a door uh, because they think to help me. And it was some adult activity going on. Mm -hmm. And I, how the story goes is right when they kicked down the door, there was this awkward moment between the officers and what's going on. And then I go over there and correct it where my location was. So then they immediately left that to come help me with my fight. And uh, eventually, I, you know, I, he started trying to bite my hand, but I knocked out his false teeth, so he was actually gumming my hand. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like a, it, 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 don't laugh. <laughs> it was a 10-minute fight, and uh, I ended up going in the emergency room, which my wife likes to bring up the 
best thing I ever learned from that was once you get in a pepper spray fight and you roll around pepper spray, you probably should wash your hands before you go to the bathroom. Got it. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> All right. The things you learn. Yeah. Right? In Skid Row. I remember the first time I learned that too. That's crazy. Uh, Anyway, oh, also, cool to mention, um, he's got lots of stories, and we won't go into all of them, but you went undercover for how long? I was undercover for two and a half years. Two and a half years. Yeah. And is that where the tattoos came from? Is that why you got them, or was that That was my excuse to my wife. Okay. Yeah. It was right. slowly started growing, so, okay. yeah. All right. Well, we'll hear more stories at another time, but um, <laughs> there's, obviously, your time on Skid Row it led to more than just patrolling, it led to other things. So why don't you just start talking through the story and I'll ask questions along the way. Yeah, so um, it's kind of hard where I was at in my life. I, I go to calls that are basically the worst of the worst and um, especially when it comes to Skid Row. Skid Row is 54 blocks, it's, it's a half a mile. And out of all down, downtown LA, it actually produces 70% of the crime. It actually has more homicides than any other uh, division in LAPD right now. Um, so I didn't really think highly of Skid Row and uh, especially homelessness in general, um, just because of what I saw. And a little bit after, uh, um, after I left my undercover unit, I was going to patrol. I felt like God was trying to hit me with something and uh, especially with helping out the homeless, but I didn't really know exactly how to help out homeless people. And uh, then... Um, then the day come where I was about to go back to patrol two weeks, and I had an encounter with a homeless person that kind of changed my life forever. Um, I, ho I stopped a person who was drinking in public right outside of Skid Row, and this homeless person uh, who has definitely had some serious mental illness problems started yelling at people, and I told them to leave, and then as calm as can be, took out a Bible, and he told me, God's telling you to start leading these people, and he pointed to Skid Row. So I told him, okay, you really need to leave me alone. Just get out of here. And uh, he's like, he starts getting mad at me. He's like, and he starts pointing to some verse in the Bible. He's like, no, God's calling you to start leading these people. I told him a not-so-nice way to leave again. And then he starts, then he walks up to me with the Bible. And he says, it says right here, God's telling me to tell you, you need to start leading these people. They need you. He folded up his Bibles and started talking about like butterflies or something like that, like, and he just ran away from me. So it kind of like that moment was the first time I was like, what is going on, like right when I got home. So um, then after that, um, I had another incident, uh, just I think it was like the, literally the next day, no, a couple weeks later, and uh, I just started patrol and I just started getting a rookie. And my rookie, uh, one of the things that we do is we expose him to death. So they see, and actually in Skid Row, there was a guy in the middle of a street who actually died of heroin overdose, and he actually still had the needle in his arm. So I showed my rookie, um, basically him dead with a needle, and I'm starting to explain drugs to him. And then the next stop, I stop a drug dealer, and we end up getting in an argument. And I don't know why, but it was the first time that, I think it was because of the incident that happened, I'm like, man, maybe I should try to talk some sense in this guy, I don't know. And we, stand, we end up going back and forth, and he ends up crying. And he ends up saying, uh, I need you um, to understand that you need to just give up on me. There's no hope for me. So I went to my wife, and I'm just like, man, what is, like, there's something going on. So a week later, then I met Tiffany. And it, it was my conversation with Tiffany that kind of started everything. Tiffany has been on the streets 
longer than I can imagine. And uh, we usually have a video, and if you saw, there's no nice way to say it, but it was like The Walking Dead. And she was telling me she had her arm wrapped, and I was having my rookie try to explain to her about drugs. She was telling him about drugs and how to use them. And basically, her arm was wrapped because she got an abrasion from shooting up heroin so much. And then she started to still shoot up besides the doctor's order, and she lost almost all of her skin. And it basically is forever has to be wrapped because it's forever going to be infected. So in the process of this, she tells me, but I still think there's hope for me. And I was like, what, what is with hope right now? This is, this is really weird. So I kind of just started praying about it, like how can I bring hope to the people of Skid Row? And the idea came to me, maybe if there's more Bibles and crack pipes and needles, that might make a dent. And that's kind of how Project 54 originally started. And uh, so that day I bought 300 Bibles and it was like 800 and something dollars and I didn't tell my wife. And <laughs> so eventually the delivery day was coming and eventually I had to have that awkward moment with my wife where I just spent $800 on Bibles. And I told my wife like, hey, this is what happened and I think God's calling me to deliver Bibles in Skid Row. And my wife's like, okay, sounds good. And uh, I did what most, what all good Christians do. I made a bet with God and I said, all right, God, if this is for real, if I get rid of 100 of these 300 Bibles, I know this is you, because he loves me doing that to him. And so I walked up one day to uh, one of the missions, the Jordan mission, and I said, this is going to sound crazy, but I got 300 Bibles in the back. Do you want some? And the guy started crying. And he said, you, you answered my prayers. We have no more Bibles to give out to homeless people. So I said, um, how many Bibles do you want? And he said, can I have all 300? So I said, <laughs> I was like, oh, all right, you won, God. And <laughs> I gave the Bibles, I gave 299, and I kept one Bible, and I eventually found that, uh, the drug dealer, and I, I gave him the Bible, and after that, I've never seen him on the street again. So through this process, <clears throat> and I want to make sure, and I, when we were meeting the other day, I wanted to make sure that I pointed this out, was sometimes when we hear people's vision, and it's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, God was speaking to me, and he's revealing all these things, and it was so great, and we're like, when am I going to have one of those God moments when he shows me what I'm supposed to do? And, and you know, and we just finished up this Nehemiah series where we were talking about that, um, but I want to make sure that you understand that this is the flyover version, because... I got to walk just at least a little bit through it with you, and we would have coffee, and we would talk about what's going on and things like that, and you had what I like to think of as kind of some Jonah moments in which God was calling you to do something, and you felt like, ah, I think I'm supposed to do this, and yet there's this resistance within you that says, I'm not really sure if this is what I'm supposed to do, and, and we all have our reasons of why we shouldn't be doing this thing, especially this thing that God's calling us to. And so you were resistant to, at the very beginning, um, following through with this stuff, which is probably why you made a, a bet with God and lost, um, is because you didn't really want to do this. And so can you tell, uh, tell us a little bit about what was going on in your mind and in your heart in which you're, you, know, you feel like you're supposed to go this direction and yet you don't want to? So this is be absolute un, uh, upfront about everything. I was... I mean, this comes from me. I've been a strong Christian uh, almost my whole life. Uh, before this church, I was a worship leader of my other church. Um, and I can honestly say this very sad that my wife even likes to remind people that before I came to my division, I never wanted to work Central Division because I said I hated homeless people. 
and this is, it's, I don't know why, but it's just whatever was going on in my life at the time. So the thought of helping homeless people was the least of, like, my worries. But I remember vividly some days, like, sitting at church here and, like, God saying, like, why aren't you doing something about this? You're so involved in Skid Row. Why aren't you trying to help these people? You're so worried about everybody else. But you don't care about the homeless people where you work. And I just remember saying, nah, not me. <laughs> nah, it's, you know, this is too weird. I'm a cop, you know? Like, there's this, doesn't make any sense. I'm a cop for the area I work. And I, it was funny because looking back now, it's like every single opportunity, I remember five occasions where people came up to me saying, okay, why don't you go help out the people of Skid Row? And it's like, hey, can you help me out with the homelessness? And I'm like, no. It's like I did not, especially with, not just homelessness, especially with Skid Row, because it's, my past with them has been so bad. I mean, it's so, it's just definitely every single time I just, I knew God was saying, and it's not something where like God was like saying, you got to go do it, but that feeling in your heart where like just some days you're just, man, maybe this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now, and I would just ignore it. I remember uh, having a couple conversations with you in which you said, it's kind of weird because I'm beginning to feel things that I never felt before for the people of Skid Row because I can imagine that you see pretty harsh stuff on a regular basis and you're having to, um, you're having to use uh, obviously some kind of force, whether it's actual physical force or you're having to tell people what to do and it's a, it's a pretty gnarly ex- uh, job that you have to work on Skid Row. And then you said, now I'm supposed to go and turn that off and then go, yeah, but Jesus loves you and let's hug kind of thing. You know? And you said, that was a really tough, and I'm sure you still live in that tension in which you go, I'm supposed to be a cop one day and then the next day I'm supposed to go and give them a Bible and tell them that Jesus loves them. And so I remember you kind of struggling with uh, starting to feel things that you hadn't felt in, previously. Absolutely. It, it, it's really hard uh, at my end. You got to understand, I was benched for a year because how many fights I got in Skid Row. That was my job in Skid Row, is that uh, I was literally just supposed to patrol it. And then when I went to undercover, I went from buying drugs from them to, you know, smoking cigarettes and drinking a 40 in their tent, buying stolen stuff from them. And it's like you see people at their worst. It's kind of different. Like at church here, we kind of get to see people at their best. But imagine seeing someone at their absolute worst and like where it gets, I don't know. And it's just especially when you try to help someone and despite the stereotypes that people think of cops, when you know someone and then you see them lying on the street dead for 16 hours and no one decided to call it, let anyone know, it's, it ruins you. And especially where it's the point now where we'll go preach to people and then they're dead the next day. That's, it's, it's kind of hard. And then you have to play this line of like, you know, well, you know, I'm supposed to be saving these people, but they're all dying. How do I continue to help? Or just yesterday, one of the guys we help out, Willie, I'm at a radio call and this guy, his best friend's calling me racist and I'm a pig and I hope, and I want to murder you. And he's threatening me and he's just like, you don't care about us. And I'm just like, if you only knew, you know, so it's kind of all this battle, you know, that's always going through us. So tell us a little bit about Skid Row, because I think all of us have heard of it, but we don't know what's happening on Skid Row. And so, because the other day when we were talking, you were telling me it's one of the most dangerous places um, in America, and it's, uh, so just tell us, just tell us, tell us a little so bit. So third, uh, the third biggest homeless population is Skid Row in all the world, and it's connected right by in downtown LA, which is considered one of the richest cities in all the world, which is just boggles my mind. But it's 54 blocks of just homeless shelters and, and, and also um, assisted living and programs. And there's about 10 to 12,000 people that live in Skid Row. 
and over 6,000 of them are either on the streets in the shelter, and it's the biggest mental illness encampment. So 55% of the people that are homeless suffer from two to three mental disorders, and drugs is just out of control. My brother is a police officer for the gang unit in Watts, where the Bloods and Crips started, and now Skid Row has more homicides than all of Watts combined, and it's just the gang... Violence is out of control. A lot of the gang members will even light, light homeless people's tents on fires while they're alive, while they're still sleeping. Um, I, it's easily one of the most violent places. And our street, Gladys, that, uh, where we are at in our warehouse that we rent an office from, in the past two months, there's been five homicides in less than 75 yards. In just two months, it's, there's no other place just like it. Yeah, and so that's kind of what I think brought your heart and strategy to Skid Row was the only thing that's gonna fix this is, is Jesus. The only yeah. thing that can make this better is, yeah, there can be great programs and yes, we can do some great things, but really the only thing that's gonna save, uh, save Skid Row is, is Christ. Absolutely. I mean, I've tried everything. I, I, I could try it from the patrol end and I've seen the, you know, the government you know, failing. I've actually seen um, just everything. When you see something that bad, and when we look at the problem, as a Christian, it finally hit me. I don't know why, out of so long, out of seven years of being down there, just God is the only answer. Like, if something's this bad, I have to bet that only Jesus can fix this. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about Eric. I know he's a big part of your story. So tell us about your first meetings and how that all went. So Eric has been homeless for 17 years, and he used to sleep uh, right in front of our warehouse. And I met him because my buddy who owns the warehouse that we rent out, he, um, Tyler, I, uh, he's a good friend of Tyler's because Tyler used to hire him to clean up and stuff like that. And uh, I met Tyler because I used to use his uh, facility to watch people sell drugs. So later on when I got benched, I came back and I started telling him like, hey, I'm a Christian. And Tyler's like, I'm a Christian too, oh my gosh. So we started talking and he's like, so I told him, hey, I think God's trying to tell me I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a nonprofit. And he's like, what for? I was like, oh, I think I'm gonna start a nonprofit to help out homeless people. He's like, oh man, I got this perfect homeless guy for you. And he introduced me to Eric. And Eric was, if you, he's just, he's one of the most gentle people you can meet, but worst stories you can ever hear. 17 years living on the street, shot twice, stabbed once, until recently, like five months ago, got attacked with a hammer. Addiction to levels that a lot of people really can't understand. And um, so I started talking to him a little bit, and then he found out I was a cop. And um, LAPD doesn't know about Project 54, and Project 54, the people we help out don't know I'm a police officer for the area I patrol. So it's kind of like this weird thing. The homeless people don't know I'm a cop, and the cops don't know I help out the homeless people. And Eric was... I just realized you're kind of like a double agent. <laughs> that's awesome. That's exactly. Cool. No, that's cool. Exactly. That's cool. Just without the like jet planes and the cool suits. That's coming. You know what I mean? That's coming. <laughs> so, so I started talking to Eric and um, a lot. And I remember when I first started, we were trying to get the nonprofit status. And I realized shortly that me and my wife were running out of money. And it was like to the point where like I told her like we can't write one more check. We got kids. What are we gonna do? So I'm like, how can I promote it? Oh, Eric will help me promote this. So without arrogantly knowing uh, anything about Eric, I asked Eric, uh, I was like, can I shoot a video of you? And he's like, yes. And it was when I first met him, I said, hey, do you think God could change Skid Row? And I didn't know that Eric didn't believe in God because I didn't even bother asking. And Eric said, no. 
because God would need Christians to do his work for him, and Christians don't care about me. They just want to give me free stuff, and then they walk away. And it was just like, that was the first time it hit me, like, oh, yeah, maybe it has to be more than a Bible. It's like, I actually have to do the Christian thing and discipleship and walk with them and love them and care about them. So Eric is like the reason why we do what we do now. I think we have a, a quick video of Eric, and it's, it's, it set it up for us. What, when was this? So this was probably, I think, about five months ago, and Eric just got, Eric just got beat up, and he just got attacked with a hammer, and he broke a lot of his ribs, and at the same time, he, had a, he uh, got a hole in his tent, so he didn't tell me at the People time. People don't know, by the way, just a side note, they, obviously, they probably figured out that they sleep in tents, but having a tent is your house. Like, that's oh, a big deal. That's, that's huge. I mean, if you, like, give out a tent, that's, like, the world's greatest thing. Okay, something that shocked me about the tent thing was how, I think it was how Eric got his tent, was because the person before him died. Is that correct? So, yes. Yeah, so this one, this one, we bought him a tent, but this one, there was a, one of the guys got murdered, and Eric didn't want to tell me that he had a hole in his tent. So Eric went and cleaned up all the blood from the dude that just died. And he slept in the dead guy's tent. So um, he didn't want to tell me until about a week later. And that's, so the day of that we give him a recording is actually the day that we got him a new tent at the same time. Right. And in this recording, he's probably on drugs and lots of. Absolutely. And Eric Eric's addiction at this level is um, he's starting to believe in God at this point, and he's starting to help us along. And um, But his addiction, if you could tell, we actually had to use wording, and I got permission from Eric to talk about this, by the way. Uh, but Eric's addiction level is to the point where it's, I think he said it was about like 15 times he was smoking crack a day. So that's the level he's at. And he also just went through the his life of I was sleeping in a dead guy's tent for two weeks just so I can survive. So, so uh, let's go ahead and watch that video. I don't have strength. New York is bad, that's what they call it. How long have you been homeless here? 17 years. And what's the hardest part of being homeless? Cold outside. How do you think people view you? Drug addict. All kind of other things down there. Worse than drugs. Like what? Mental. Mental patients. You would have taken all that real, real, real psychological medication. Believe me, I ain't got a bad faith here. What's the worst thing that has happened to you? That shot. Twice. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Do you feel safe at Skid Row? Physically, yes, mentally. Yeah. Uh, so that's not good, not mentally. How do you think people that aren't homeless think of those who are homeless? We're nothing, we're dirty, we're nasty, we're filthy, we're... It's a good thing to get see what they see. Look closer, you know? What's the best thing that has happened to you this week? I got a new tip. What do you think of Project 54? Excellent. It helps people. You brunches and events and stuff like that. That's what people call. When they think of Project 54, oh yeah, they got brunch, they got breakfast on the corner as well. 
And you down on Skid Row in the, in, in the gutter with us too? What's the best thing Project 54 can do for you? For you? Well, in a way, Project 54, 54, like a safe haven. Where you can, you know, get out and get everybody right looking around, actually see if we made a take something like that, you know what I'm saying? You know, Project 54 is you know, free and clear. You know what I'm saying? What has Project 54 done for you, personally? Got me somebody from school, got somebody to look out for you, you know, once in the blue room. Other people look like this who look beside you. Alright, go. I got a blanket for you, that guy. I'm see you at the next event, and I ain't gonna have no suit on this time. <laughs> if you didn't catch that last part, uh, he wears suits to all the events, and he looks styling. He looks fly. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the events. So uh, we saw some footage of the events, and it's part of your strategy. It's because you've learned some important things being on Skid Row for so long about they don't just want handouts. Yeah, so it was really that day with Eric that when he told me how do we, you know, that... Christians just come and leave. So it was kind of wrapping our head around how can we start doing things. And actually, Eric brought it up. And we used to do dinners. And Eric's like, hey, Tyler used to throw dinners, and it was cool. And I was like, well, how about if we set up dinner tables, and we can actually have dinner with them? Instead of just giving you something, the whole point is let's have actual dinner conversations like they would at any other home. And that's basically because of Eric, his conversation there. So that's what we do. And now it's grown. I mean, we give Bibles away. We, we have Christian literature. We have handwritten letters. We have Kyle Powers over there who makes an amazing meal in front of them. And we just set up a whole bunch of tables, and we talk to them, and we get to know them like we did with So it's Eric. not just handouts, like get in line. It's, hey, come sit with me. Let's hang out. Let's talk about life. And so I, I've got to go before, and it's pretty incredible because... You just sit across the table from someone. They don't want you to look down on them. They're like, hey, I'm a person, you're a person. Okay, so let's talk. Let's talk about life. Let's talk about what's going on. And um, it's, it's a really cool vibe. It's totally different. Um, and so uh, your guys' strategy is to see them as equals, not to look down on them. Exactly. It's kind of funny because we, with homeless people, I don't get it. We kind of treat them a little bit different than, uh, than we would with our fellow Christians. If... I was going through a really bad day and I got laid off and, you know, say me and my wife are fighting or, or something. And I walked up to you, Cody, and you said, oh, here's a sandwich, though, and walked away from me. I'm like, what did you just do? Like, it would just make me feel worse. And honestly, that's what happens in Skid Row is they tell us all the time. It's like, oh, it's great. You gave me food. But in Skid Row, you can, you can be fed 13 times in a day. The food is not the issue. What it is, is the exact same thing as us. We all want to feel loved, you know, and... For us, I'm willing to bet that God can change someone's life if he's in there, but you got to understand that they live in hell. And we were at a Bible study one time where... Which you do Bible studies every oh, Thursday night? Is that Tuesday right? nights. Tuesday, night. Tuesday nights. And basically our team walks the streets of Skid Row, and then they ask people uh, to come to a Bible study, and we just have a Bible study with the homeless people. Not actually, it's more like a small group, not us teaching them, let's do this thing together. And we had a guy named Rob who told us, you don't understand, I believe in God, it's just I live in hell. I, I, I sleep in a tent where I'm addicted to drugs and people are getting shot at. It's just kind of hard to see God when you're in hell. So how do you get people out of hell? You talk to them and you have to get to know them and, and you let them know that you love them and you just don't say, okay, bye. You actually sit there with them and you go through a whole process with them. I'm gonna be here every week for you. And not only that, I'm gonna bring all my friends and we're gonna talk about this and, and I want you, I not only want to help you out, but it's a two-way streak. 
I'm gonna tell you about my life and what's going on in my life, and I'm gonna tell you what's going on in my marriage, my work, everything, and then we can grow together, and, and that's when the change really starts. So uh, Eric's story is still unfolding, mm-hmm. and it keeps progressing, and so take us from where he was in that video to that was five months ago to where, where the last five months have led him. So right before that video, Eric's tent got stolen, and that's what we're talking about. Eric's tent got stolen, and um, basically he got arrested, and one of the, his neighbors went and stole everything out of, the, out of the tent, including his tent. So he had nothing now. He came back to just the sidewalk. So me and, and the team, he asked Tyler, hey, do you think Project 54 could buy me a tent? So we agreed to do it, but we put like a care package and somebody donated at Seacoast an $85 Bible. And so my wife wrote a letter and put it in the Bible and we gave it to him. And he walks up one day and he sees that we have a tent and immediately he pulls out the Bible and this non-believer holds the Bible to his head and starts crying, promising me he'll read the Bible every day. So one day I'm on patrol and I have a new rookie, obviously, and Eric starts yelling at me, calling me by my first name, Kyle, which is very unusual, obviously. So he's like, Kyle, I got a problem with God. And like, my rookie looks at me like, what is he talking about, this homeless person? So I said, just stay in the car, I need to have a talk conversation, which I'm pretty sure tripped out my partner. But I, st- <laughs> yeah. I started talking about Eric and he's yelling at me very violently. Like, I don't know if anybody's ever been like so mad at the world, where like, you're not mad at the person you're yelling at, you're just mad about life. And he starts asking me, he's just like, how can you say God loves me when I live in a tent? How can you say there's good in the world when I've done so much bad? Jesus being born of a virgin doesn't make any sense for me. So then I asked him, hey, would you like to sit down and talk about this? So we had our first Bible study together. So it started out with me and him meeting every week and uh, talking about the Bible and me trying to answer some of these tough questions. And from there, that's how all of our Bible studies started for Tuesday nights. And so now this non-believer is now reading a Bible with a cop, which is just blowing his mind at this point. (laughs) And then what happens is we start recruiting people. And now Eric told me uh, when we have Bible studies, it's fine, but I'm never going to read the Bible in front of somebody else. Well, then he starts reading the Bible in front of someone else. And then he starts recruiting people to come to the Bible study. Then one day he even brings in his dealer to the Bible study. (laughs) So then it gets to the point where now it's just not me. Now I got these people coming to help out. And one day he brought up the suit. One day we asked Eric, hey, he's like, you should really do a brunch instead, like breakfast. And he's just like, okay. And I already had a conversation with Kyle on the side. And I guarantee Kyle's about to cry when I tell this story. But I asked, I asked Eric, hey, if you can make anything, I have a guy who's going to make it for you. And he said, can you make me eggs? And I was like, eggs? And he's like, I haven't had eggs in 17 years. That's a luxury in Skid Row. So we made him eggs. And then I told him, hey, tomorrow, you know, the brunch, we're going we're gonna to make some eggs, man. So he's just like, Really, I got you. I was like, okay. So right before the video, uh, he comes in with a he comes in with a suit on to surprise me. He was able to borrow a, a suit from someone, and I asked, why Why are you wearing a suit, man? You look great. Because I wanted to impress your friends. Because I so after that, 
he starts getting connected with a lot of our friends. And now an eggs is a staple out of our brunch because of that reason. So then he starts opening up about his addiction. And then Eric starts talking to some other people and, he, and Eric comes up to me one day and he's just like, maybe, maybe I need to get over this addiction. How can you help me? So we start going through this whole process and I'm talking to him about, hey man, you know, you can do anything if you have God in your life, you know? And he's talking about, well, maybe God will baptize, maybe I can get baptized one day. And, and I was like, maybe I can go to your church one day. And I said, yeah, man, let's do this. Um, but you got to make some better decisions. So I don't know. If <laughs> yeah, no, keep going, keep going. So then one day, Eric comes up to me and, and I talk to him and, and we have a big meeting. I said, Eric, are you serious about leaving? He said, yeah. I was like, I can get you off the streets, man. So we found a place that would house Eric. So the day comes, and I'm with uh, Philip back there, and we're sitting down, and I'm like, Eric, are you ready to leave the streets? And he literally can't move. He's like, I don't want to do this. I'm like, uh, <laughs> we just threw kind of like a party for you, and like, look at this whole thing. So, but Eric is so scared because 17 years on the street, no matter how bad it is, and his addiction, he knows that it's a new life he has to start. So we're sitting in his tent, and we're, and we're praying, and I'm just like, come on, dude, let's do this. So Eric gets in, so Eric leaves, and he gets into a house. And I never th thought Eric was kind of paying attention a lot of times to our Bible study, because Eric has a serious me uh, medical problem. Through our Bible studies, and he would throw up blood during the Bible study. So our team would actually have to stop clean up his blood that he threw up, restart our Bible studies, and it was kind of an ongoing thing. And so he was always kind of dizzy inside of our room. But Eric told me something I'll never forget. He's like, I remember you talking about the time where Jesus said, if you have a faith of a mustard seed, I can move a mountain. He's like, I think God put homelessness and addiction as my mountain, but now you gave me the faith the size of the mustard seed, and I can do this. So Eric stays in the house, and then a week later, I get the call. Eric got kicked out of the house. Um, he got in a big fight. So he came back to Skid Row. When he, immediately when he came back to Skid Row, Eric got beat up. And it just so happens that we had a Bible study that day. And uh, we've, the same house said they, would, they found another house for him. So Eric, I'm sitting up at, on this... Um, patio that we have and he's crying and he can't move because he just got beat up and now he's a week sober for the first time so Eric's crying and he's like I messed up didn't I I'm like yeah man you did he's like you promised me a family and I let my family go I'm like you kind of did dude <laughs> so he's like can you give me one more shot and he started crying so Eric went to another house and a couple days later got kicked out again so I come back, and, we, and it was actually right after the men's retreat. I get back down, and uh, I think it was like 11 o'clock at night, I get a call when he got kicked out. So now I'm picking up Eric all the way in Riverside, and I come back, and I don't know what to do. And so I get him a hotel room. He wants to go back to Skid Row, but I, I refuse. So I pick him up the next day, and I'm kind of at this point of what do I do? 
so I started praying, and, and I have a whole bunch of people uh, back there that are trying to find places for us. And Eric says, you know, just give up, it's fine. And I just felt God was telling me, look, the world failed him, he's failing himself, but you got to prove him that I won't fail him. So what happens, Eric starts sleeping on our couch. And every single day, um, one day, um, I have to go to work now after I've been up all day. And we have a team and my wife, we drop him off for the night. Then I leave work, pick him up. He sleeps on our couch. I have two hours of sleep and it's an ongoing process where we got rejected by over 100 different places. And it's to the point now where one lady actually started yelling at me saying I was the worst thing that ever happened to him because I ruined his life. You're not supposed to take someone from LA to Orange County and it just sounds like he's a problem child. And now I'm just like, I think in three days, I probably had like four hours of sleep and going from work to there. And to the point where I'm even kind of asking God, like, man, if my work found out that I just took a homeless guy and now he's sleeping on my tent, I mean, sleeping in my house, what am I going to do? And I start learning about, worrying about everything. So we take, sorry. So, no, I just like, when he was telling me this the other day, I was like, dude, because he has kids that are the same age as my kids. And I'm thinking... I have, like, so many locks on my doors and things like that to keep people out, and he's having people um, sleep on his couch, you know? And I was like, bro, that's so gnarly. Like, you're not just a 20-year-old who's like, ah, come on over. It'll be great. We'll have a good time. Sleep on my couch. It's like, he's got a family, and he's just, it, for me, that, that tripped me out. Yeah, and it was to the point where I just kept saying, like, what does he need to see that like if God is going to work, he has to make it work now. So I take him to the Salvation Army, and um, the Salvation Army rejected him, and they said, maybe if you had a better criminal record, we'll take you. So I'm like, so now he doesn't have a record. Like that's... So I gave up, and it got to the point where even Eric's like, hey, let's just go home. Um, I, don't mind, uh, I don't mind sleeping at a, uh, another place. You don't have to give me the couch tonight. Um, I said, no. Uh, so we prayed, and we're like, God, one more shot, please. And, and one of the places he stayed out gave us a list of 10 places. So I literally did one of these, like, let this please be the place. So we call a place, and it's a place in Brea. And the guy says, no. I was like, okay, well, this isn't meant to be. So then I gave him the phone. I was like, no, you need to listen to me. So I told him the story of me and Eric. And I told him, I'm, I'm LAPD. Um, I'm hiding this nonprofit I met this guy, he's been shot twice, stabbed, beat up with a hammer, he has 17 years of addiction, he's given it up and he found God and you have to do it because now this is God trying to get us to do it. And the guy said, okay. And he said, because I don't wanna interfere with what God's trying to do in your life and this is too amazing. So we found him a house. So before we get an update of Eric, one of the miracles along this process, not only that I got in this house was that um, you said months and months and months ago, one day, Eric's come to church with me. And you got to see that happen. So Eric came to church. He goes, uh, he comes to SCG now. And uh, we're sitting there with, at church, and um, they showed a video of me and my wife. And the whole time I'm just looking at Eric, I'm just like, this is the most unreal thing in the world. This, this is the greatest miracle I've ever witnessed, hands down. And I remember God saying to me, 
you think this is a miracle? He's like, this is nothing. He's just like, this is what Christians are supposed to do. This is exactly what you just did is what every person should be doing. If you want to see miracles, you need to do even more than this. And I just remember sitting there, I'm like, okay, God, let's do this, you know? <laughs> let's do this. So let's get a little, let's get an update. Uh, when was this filmed? This was filmed Monday. Okay. So this is like just this last week. Let's check in with Eric. You want to introduce yourself? Old me or the new me? What about like Eric from Northeast New York? Okay, my name is Eric. How you doing? Uh, lived in New York for some odd years and down here in California for an unfortunate incident, which I don't care to talk about. <laughs> so how long were you homeless for? 17 years. Yeah. Where were you homeless at? Skid Row. Graveyards overcrowded. Well, stuff won't be tolerated. Belly of the beast, believe me. Now, now you live in Brea, what's that like? Beautiful out here. There's nothing out here. There's drug related out here. The police take care of the homeless out here. You know, it's very nice out here. You know, we don't tolerate noise after 8 o'clock at night. This is the only place I've been in all my life where you hear birds chirping at 8 o'clock at night. You know, one thing about Brea, I have a lovely home over on 400 Laurel Avenue. <laughs> And we have the entire corner. Beautiful place. I mean, I have a lawn, I have a backyard. I even have a dining room. <laughs> you know, but it's real nice. I, I, I appreciate what Project 54 is doing or has continued to do, because this is only beginning, because this is only two months. It's only two months that I've been clean, and boy, I'm taking off. Days. I'm going to Bible Store every Thursday. Yeah, I'm going to Seacoast yeah. Recovery on, on, on Friday. Okay. And, then and then I'm going to church on Sunday. Yeah, so that is a that, miracle within itself because I don't do church. How is that big change for you? God looking out for me. Because see, a lot of times, you know, there's an old saying that God works mysterious ways. God, well, God doesn't work with you. God works through people. You know, the founder right here, my partner Kyle, you know what I'm saying? You know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. They cared about me. See, a lot of people sit up here and come downtown and give out stuff and give out all kinds of stuff. And that's supposed to be a project. Project 54 is the only group of people who came down in all the 17 years that I've been down there who actually came to my tent and talked to me. They sat on the ground and talked to me. Project talks to you. Project believes in you, you know, because a lot of times, like I said, this man right here believed in me. He's the founder of Project 54, and, and, and I really didn't know him. I was really kind of skeptical like the ball dude. You know, y'all just like the rest of them down there. Y'all just, y'all don't really care. No, that's not true. God doesn't work for you. God works with you. God works through people. God works through this man to get me where I'm at today. And it's a good feeling, and I'm still going to think probably 54, a couple of hundred thousand more times. It's <laughs> cool. So... So here's what we're going to do. 
is uh, because we believe in what these guys are doing and, and we want to partner with them and, and so many of you guys are already doing so much with them, um, we're going to try something that they've never done before and it took a little convincing to let Kyle um, uh, be okay with this, but we're going to do it, <laughs> is, is uh, we're going to go and we're going to serve down there, but we're going to not just serve down there for one day, but for two days and we're going to spend the night there. Uh, on Skid Row, and we're going to uh, we're going to go and we're going to help. There's some needs down there. One of the needs is at the mission. Um, they've asked if we could come and we can be a part of what they're doing. So we're going to serve there. We're going to serve on the streets right out there. We're going to put on uh, another brunch for everybody. We have a whole laundry list of stuff that they need that we as a church can go and help out with. And so this is just for young adults. We want to go out there. Um, we're going to spend the night. It's going to be safe. It's going to be safe, right? Totally safe. Um, and uh, he's a cop, so we're fine. It's fine. It's not a big deal. We're totally fine. Uh, totally normal that I walk around with a gun. Yeah, all the time. he has a gun. Yeah, it's fine. Totally. Uh, no, but it will be. He has, they have a warehouse and an office down there, and, and it's going to be great. And so here's the deal. is um, We are going to go down there as a church, and there is a ton of work that needs done, and it's going to be an incredible opportunity for us to go and not just hand out. And I love what Eric was saying there is, you know, people come, and they throw stuff at us, and they leave, and it's like, no, no, no. These guys are planted, and we're going to partner with them, and we're going to go down there, and we're going to help get some real work done and, and really form some, some relationships with the people of Skid Row. And so... Um, the way that you can be a part of that is it's going to cost about, I think it's like, what, $99, so it's not even $100, uh, which is great. Um, <laughs> that's such a deal. That's crazy. That's like such a deal. Anyway, but that'll pay for all the supplies. That'll pay for everything that we need to get the work done. And, um, and if you are interested in doing that, we want to try to get as many people to mob down there as we can. And so you can get signed up in the back. There's a team down there. They'll answer any questions, any concerns that you have. You can get uh, signed up tonight um, or I think in the next couple weeks, or you can do it online. But I would encourage you, get it done quickly because it's going to be a cool event. We have a ton of stuff. We've been planning this for like six months now, and we're just excited for you guys to be a part of it. So uh, anything, any last words that you want? Yeah, um, I just, Eric told me one thing, and this is why I get emotional when I talk to him when I see his video. Eric told me one time, uh, we were talking about expanding, which we are, and I was like, if I could build anything in Skid Row, what, what would you want me to build? And he said, can you bring me another friend like you? And I said, no, I don't think you understand. Like, do you want a kitchen? Do you want like this? And he's like, no, can you bring me just one more person that loves me as much as you do? So this event is going to be, I think, for me and my team, and, and it's amazing that church is just so on board for this. I need a lot of people here that want to be that friend to someone. If you guys can change one life like you just did to Eric, you did a life's worth of work in one time. And I can't tell you um, how much your conversations mean to people. And it's getting to the point now, even if we go down there on Tuesdays, people told us that, they won't, that the homeless people don't even let other homeless people do drugs in our area because they know we're coming down. And these conversations that we've had, do you mind if I just tell a quick story? No, go for it. Okay. This is how much... You're... Actually, no. We're done. We're no, done. <laughs> This is how much a conversation can start today, is we had a Bible study one time, and we walked the streets, and a guy named Bruce was walking uh, down the street, and we didn't know it at the time, but he told us he was on his way to go jump off a bridge, and because a lot of what was going on in his life, 
So he was praying to God, please, if my life means anything, send me a sign. So then two of our volunteers back there stopped him and said, hey, do you want to come to a Bible study? And he told us, well, clearly God has a purpose for me. The conversations that you guys have, it's almost unselfish because I get, I get to hear about more. People come up to us and tell us, oh, man, I know this one person cared about me. I, I, know, I know they cared about me. Can you tell that one person how much I love them? And it even to the point when Eric was attacked with a hammer, I got the radio call that day. And I'm sitting there and he has a whole bunch of broken ribs. And I'm trying to talk to him. But he didn't want to talk to me about his broken ribs. Because in a couple of days was our monthly event. And he said, do you think your wife will be there? Do you think Ian's going to be there? What about Kyle? What do you think? What's Kyle's going to make? Do you know? When your life is that hard, just you guys being there and talking to him can be more important than broken ribs, sleeping in a tent. That's the one, like, hope that they have. So that's how important these nights are. That's cool. I'm going to pray for these guys, and then I would encourage you to go back there and, uh, and talk with them. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for Kyle and for uh, Whitney and for the rest of the team and just uh, their heart and um, the incredible sacrifices that they have made to get to where they are right now. But um, more importantly, that you have called them to do something that um, is not always easy and yet is incredibly rewarding because um, we get to see people's lives change dramatically right in front of us, and that is a miracle, um, something that only you can do. And so, Lord God, I just pray for, for them, that you give them strength, that you give them guidance, that you give them whatever resources are needed, whatever relationships need to be formed. And um, if there's some people here that need to go and they need to be a part of what's happening down there, and they need to help um, create relationships and bring hope to Skid Row, um, that they would just, uh, whatever fear and uh, whatever timidity they may have, that they would be able to just push that aside and they would be able to go and be a part of what you're doing. And so, Lord God, I just thank you again for, uh, for Project 54 and the incredible work that they're doing. And uh, we just uh, are celebrating and excited to see what's going to happen. In your name we pray. Amen.